Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. Now, if there's one TV program that just scares the bejesus out of me, it's Discovery's Naked and Afraid. It's not the showing of one's body while you endure dehydration and extreme heat or cold or fighting to survive the elements. It's the psychological terror that ensues when people are deprived of sleep, food or water, and the company of friends. So imagine my surprise when I saw an old friend become a fan favorite on this hit series. He's a comic book writer, former cheerleader, and a gay man raised by a traditional Baptist Republican. In short, he is exactly the kind of guy I did not want to lose to the wild. Please welcome Andrew Shade. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Sheila, it's good to see you. Yes, I survived Africa. Oh my God, barely, I can't even barely. believe it. If it wasn't <laughs> enough of a challenge appearing on The Amazing Race, what the hell were you thinking doing Naked and Afraid? This, I am just an adrenaline junkie. And uh, I, you know, when they asked me to do Amazing Race, I was like, that sounds stressful. It sounds maybe terrifying, I'm in. And then when they asked me, do you want to travel somewhere in the world and be you know, left in a jungle to survive on Naked and Afraid? I was like, sign me up. Um, uh, I can't and, get uh, over it. I can't get over it. First of all, the, the whole thing about being naked, it's almost like being naked is the last thing you need to, to worry about, right? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a, actually fairly modest, you know, at home. I would never go anywhere naked. I'd, if I went to a nude beach, I'd at least wear like a Speedo, you know? Like, so I'm not one to just be like, here it is blowing in the wind. But this, this, I was just, I just wanted this opportunity and this adventure. And I was like, oh my gosh, Africa, they can send you anywhere in the world. You don't know until about a week before you leave. It could be yeah. Australia or the Amazon rainforest. And, and I really had my fingers crossed for Africa and, and I got it. So I was really lucky. And I was like, let's do it. Oh yeah. Oh sh crap. Forgot you're naked on this. <laughs> I so, just had to like really like body positivity and like not worry about it and just realize this is all about adventure and survival. No kidding. Well, so I want people to get to know you kind of as I do. And I think you have one of the most fascinating backgrounds, how you grew up in this super conservative home and you, you, you uh, were a cheerleader for your home team in Kentucky and mostly kind of what role humor played in all of this to get you through with such a positive attitude. Yeah. Raised in Kentucky, definitely the Southern Baptist uh, one of the big Baptist areas in our country. And I was raised in a Baptist family and was afraid of coming out of the closet. I just thought I was going to be kicked out of my family. And um, so I was terrified of that, but just slowly over time kind of grew more and more uh, strong. This I graduated from high school in 1999. So this was the end of the nineties um, where there were some uh, LGBT people on TV, but really not many. I mean, there had been Richard Hatch on season one of Survivor. Some of you are really old school reality TV fans. American Idol season one was on. That's when Kelly Clarkson won. That was, yeah. You know, almost 20 years ago. So um, this was really not a lot of queer representation on TV just yet. And so it was really scary when, when we applied just because we saw the show, we want to have an adventure. And then CBS realized Southern Baptist dad, gay college cheerleader son, <laughs> we are picking them and we are going to hype this drama. And all of a sudden I was out to the entire planet. Oh, it's so awesome. So it takes you to Africa where large predators and small are in such great supply. I think it's probably one of the most threatening places on earth. So why did you decide that now was the time to kind of test yourself this way? 
You know, it, it almost was kind of like a fix. Um, do an amazing race. The third, third season was just the, this adventure. And there was just adrenaline and emotions and things I had never really felt before. Mm. And, you know, but that's always been in the past. And then it's just almost like something inside my soul. It's just like, I want to feel that again. I want to feel that, that rush. I want to feel that danger. I want to feel that excitement. Um, I, I want to face, you know, face myself in these situations what am I going to do how's that how's that going to feel and how will I overcome these things and somehow naked afraid just kind of fell in my lap I became a fan of the show I'd seen every episode I threw in an application just uh one day I had nothing else to do and boom got a phone call and then that snowball just happened so fast casting call producer meetings blah blah blah. they flew me to Los Angeles and then before you know it within just two months maybe they're like you're going to South Africa in six days so did this all happen before quarantine this, I literally um, flew to Africa uh, the beginning of March, March 2nd or 3rd, oh. and I went into the jungle March 7th, and the planet shut down while I was out there. I had no idea this all was happening. Um, there was no lead up. There was, you know, people talked a little bit about coronavirus in the media, but it didn't seem like it was maybe like bird flu, which is a serious thing, but doesn't shut down the planet. So it's kind of like, oh, we won't hear about this in two weeks. I was, of course wrong and uh on day 12 out there the producers did give us a little quick um you know heads up that that the world we would go back to was going to be different oh my gosh what a what a strange thing to go from this altered existence in africa to this altered existence at home when you're out there i did i barely slept i bet i slept 10 hours total in two weeks uh I was out there 10 hours total. Um, and I'm used to eight hours a night. I'm very diligent about my sleep patterns. And uh, so that just really started to mess with my mind. And uh, when you're malnourished, the chemicals in your brain get off, you start to get a little bit more emotional. You could get hangry as they call or aggressive or frustrated easily. Um, you may become more emotional. You may cry a little bit more. I certainly cried a few times out there that maybe I wouldn't do back home when I was fed and had mm. vitamins and, and nutrients in me. But yeah, we, we just kind of had to face it all. And then coming back, you, you just have all these thoughts because I'm sitting there lying awake in the dirt, sitting by my, my fire all night thinking, I can't wait till I get home. I'm going to hug my mom and I'm going to hug my nieces and nephews and I'm going to have everyone over the first day I get back so I can hang out with them. And then you get home, uh, my family's at the airport, none of them would hug me because of COVID. Um, oh and they were told not to, they wouldn't come in the airport because of COVID. So I had to go outside and meet them. And just these, all these little, little crazy things. I was like, oh my gosh, I had it in my mind, this great fun family reunion. Yeah. And it was just awkward. I, I was so struck because I got to watch the entire episode of how you seemed almost stronger psychologically than your partner, Elizabeth, who was raised kind of off the grid and, and as a fairly advanced hunters. So did you prepare yourself for the psychological effects of all of this deprivation? Yeah, when you talk to survivalists, you know, people that love this, this sort of thing, and I grew up as a scout and, and uh, love camping and hunting with my dad and those sort of things. So I have a little bit of that background, but everyone that you ask that say, oh, I'm a survivalist, I'm a Marine, I am a, a hunt, hunter, you know, they will always say the most important things are fire, water, and shelter. And that's true. I just took a little bit of different approach and I added one to that list of like, higher emergency importance. And that was my attitude. Mm. Um, a lot of people that have done challenges like making afraid quit on day two or day three. They just get out there and like, this is miserable. I can't do this. I'm out of here. And they, they quit. They tap out. Um, and so I'd realized that my, I've got to protect my mind out here. 
and make mm. sure that I stay in that good headspace. You know, I, I just believed I can cry or I can laugh. So I just poked humor at a lot of my misery as opposed to, to dwelling in it and letting it tear me down. I love this. Honestly, I know we're talking about an experience very few people will have, but I think that it has such major implications for the life that we're living right now in quarantine, especially what you just said about humor. Oh, for sure. I I just remember some of the times we would talk about, this is awful. I had uh, infections all over my feet from stepping on rocks and thorns. And, and so I just started making jokes about it and songs about it. And, and it was awful. I mean, I, for the first couple of days we had to hike in and my feet just got destroyed the first couple of days to the point I could barely walk. I was so dehydrated on day one, my knees would not bend. Mm-hmm. I was walking around like the tin man, how dehydrated I was. And I was just like, and, and a lot of people I think would have, would have just quit. But I was like, make jokes about this. I'm going to, you know, just try to keep this as light in my head as possible, which is not, I wasn't effective at doing that every time I had some, some low moments, but um, that's what I tried to do. I'm so curious about this idea that there are some humans who need to test themselves more deeply and more profoundly to other people. So who hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. You know, um, when my dad and I were on the amazing race together, he was my partner, my Southern Baptist dad. And, um, I, I, you know, talked a lot about uh, during that with him. Like, I just, you know, I want my dad to be proud. I, I am the gay kid. I mean, you know, my brother was straight, football player, 4.0 student. You know, my sister is beautiful, smart, also athletic. And, and I was just like, man, I'm the gay kid. I'm, I'm different. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel kind of looking back and maybe analyzing myself. And I am not a doctor by any means. This is just what I think, my, mm-hmm. my experience. I just wanted to make sure that he loved me. He approved of me. He was proud of me. And I think I did that on a major scale my whole life. I wanted everyone to like me. If I ever found out that so-and-so doesn't like you, Andrew, it would eat me alive. I would mm-hmm. worry about it for days. I would go to that person and be like, hey, I don't know what happened. Can we fix this? Like, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's from going up in a Baptist church, knowing that I was gay and thinking if I come out, everyone will hate me. I need to make sure that everyone likes me. I need to make sure that I have support. And I think um, that has played all the way into my adulthood. Again, that's just my speculation. Do you know one of the uh, most brilliant and um, most tender moments from this episode of Naked and Afraid is when your partner Elizabeth just loses it emotionally and she's sobbing in the ground and missing her mother. And you are walking her through through the reframing of her experience, like you're a skilled psychologist. And I thought, even if you did this as a, I want to try to make other people like me, I think it's so much a part of your personality now that kindness is the way you lead. You just lead with humor and kindness and man, it is so contagious. You know, she and I had had so many, so much time to talk about our lives and about everything and how important finishing this challenge was to us and why we wanted to do it. I, you know, talked about my dad. I wanted my dad to see it like, wow, my gay son is freaking tough. She wanted her mom to be like, oh man, I raised my daughter, right? I raised my own. It was almost like our mommy and daddy issues. You know, we just wanted our folks back home to be so proud and to enjoy it uh, as, as much as we did. And and so I wanted her to finish. Like when she told me her story of her family, then I got invested and I was like, now I, I want her to finish. I've heard so much about her mom. You have hours and days and days to talk about your lives back home. Yeah. And so I knew a lot about her family and I was like, I want her family to, to, to be proud too. So then I was, I was got sucked into her, her, her personal story. And so I want to be a part of that. And, and I do think that there's ways, you know, some people go about like, get up, suck it up, blah, blah, blah. And maybe there's a time and place for that kind of feedback. But 
that was not it. You know, she yeah. definitely had a broken moment and I had them too, whether they were shown on the episode or not, or she helped pick me back up. You, you um, told me something about one of the ways in which you survived is to say to your family, you cannot miss me. You cannot yes. need me during this time. Talk about that a little. Yeah. As a fan of the show, I know a lot of people get out there and they start to miss their family, which is totally uh, obvious or normal. And um, they start to think when they're malnourished and not sleeping well, they start to think my family needs me. Did I abandon them? What if something happens and I'm not there for them? And, mm. and so I wanted to make sure I was like, man, that's like, how do you control that? So I had conversations and I said, tell me you don't need me. Like I need you to literally say it out loud, go to Africa, do not come back until it's over. We will be fine. Hearing them say that when I was out there and started to think that like, and my parents, they're in their sixties. What if something happened? I was like, no, 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 no. They told me, Hey, you stay. We even had that conversation. My, my uh, mamaw, grandmother was, uh, was very elderly. And we're like, what if something happens to her while I'm gone? You know, you're gone for a month and, and so just kind of prepare for every possible situation. And my mom said, we're not going to tell you if that happens until you get home. Uh, this is your time away and there's nothing that you can do to fix it or save it if you're here. So, and, and every um, day, what was your practice in the wild with the trees? Yeah. So I wanted to like constantly be reminded of like why, you know, any type of motivation is is just as valuable as food out there. And so I, I debarked a little section of a tree out there and every day I would write someone's name on the tree in charcoal. Um, my niece, my niece's name one day and a nephew, my mom and uh, the people I work with. And so every day I just told myself, I am surviving today for them. I have mm -hmm. to survive today to protect them. And that may be strange and maybe not what everyone else would do. It may even sound inappropriate to some people, but that's, that helped me. I was like, I'm doing this for them. Nothing can stop me. You know, I was um, so struck by the night vision stuff because it showed how little sleep you had. Was mm -hmm. sleep the main psychological teardown for you, the lack of sleep? It really was. Um, that's, I am a diligent, almost militant sleeper. At mm -hmm. all. I go to bed at 930. I get up early and go to the gym. My body is just good at falling asleep quickly. And I, I realized the health advantages to healthy sleep. So I thought that won't be a problem out there. And actually, even before I went out there, I had my sound device next to my bed play sounds of the jungle all night so that my brain got used to hearing those sounds and wouldn't wake me up. So I even prepared that way, but it did not help. There were a lot of predators in the area. There were bugs crawling all over us at all times. We had to tend the fire. The biggest fear was that that fire were to go out in the middle of the night. And there were large, scary animals around us almost every night. Not necessarily that these leopards and buffalo and things necessarily want to come in and kill us. They mostly just wanted to know what we were. Why, who, is, who are these two morons so in our neighborhood? And, and why aren't they wearing clothes? I mean, yeah, usually exactly. when we see these people, they've at least yeah. got clothes on. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we do have those night vision cameras. And even with those, you can see five or six feet. But you're, the human eye cannot. It is so pitch black out there. And you hear something breathing just a few feet away or growling or the feet print, you know, a paw prints and leaves. And that's something I had never experienced at home, even camping and backpacking. I've backpacked the Wallawa Mountains between Oregon and Idaho and, and all kinds of camping trips. And Africa was the first time that some kind of caveman instinct in me mm. from 20,000 years ago felt like I was being hunted. Mm. And uh, that was a brand new feeling I had never felt. And once you wake up or you hear that in the darkness, your adrenaline, your heart, everything says, get away, run, escape, survive. And there is no way you're going back to sleep after that. Wow. So, so do you have any PTSD from that experience then? 
you know, I don't know if I have any lasting now. Um, it, it's all pre-filmed, of course. So that's been, um, you know, 10 or 11 months ago. But um, uh, certainly in the, the weeks to follow getting back, I would wake up thinking I was back there laying in the dirt by the fire. I would wake up and like sit up and reach or would to drop into the fire. Like you become, it becomes cyclic uh, mm. that your body says, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Um, and so I would, I would have nights like that. I'd wake up and like, you're not there. You're at home. You're in bed. Like you had to turn mm. that off. That just, that cycle gets stuck in your head. I'm so curious because um, you were actually doing really well in terms of your psychological health. I was so surprised by that. Even though you were losing so much weight, you were still positive and getting up, but you were bitten by a tick and it became infected and the medics decided to tap you out. Now, given that you were so close to finishing, how did that decision impact your psychology? heartbreaking mostly because you have so much time to lead up to the actual adventure the casting process telling my mom like they're flying me to los angeles i might get to go out there and do this and and in the flight out there you're just constantly running what if what if what if scenarios in your head what if i run into a lion what if i make friends with a monkey what if i find a beautiful body of water you know what if i do like every like all these things you just kind of picture what it will be like in your head and of course, it's nothing like anything you picture in your head. But then to be have that final moment, the, the goal is to reach 21 days to survive that. And just, and I envisioned that, like, what's that going to feel like? And what's mm. it going to feel like to come back and be like, dad, I did it. I reached 21 days. And then suddenly, you know, a couple of weeks in, that's taken away. And you're like, oh no, that scenario is mm. gone. Uh, I was heartbroken. And you can't, if they tap you out medically, because they fear for your safety or your life, there's no arguing back in. That's, that's yeah. night ruling. And uh, I understand um, I had a type of infection. It looked like it could have become MRSA or something more serious. If it gets in your bloodstream, it could have been fatal. So I, I definitely understand that. Clearly, uh, it did not reach that level. I was on antibiotics for a month following. Um, had to get checked for parasites and all those other things, but I had a full recovery. But now it's this lingering thing too. Like, what, what if, what if, yeah, what if I'd done something done? differently? What if, what could I have done? It was a tick, you know, like yeah. what I, I had to sit in the dirt at some point. I couldn't stand up for three weeks. So <laughs> like, right. what if, what if, what it if? It probably would have gone through your you. feet if you had, you know, there would have yeah, been some this, other thing. Yeah. This happened with the amazing race. We didn't win the, the sh- our season, the show. Um, we got eliminated at some point in Scotland and, and those, what it's haunted me for, for almost two decades mm. at this point. Like, what if I had gone to this airline and bought a ticket instead of the one I did? What if I had parked over here mm. closer to the door and got there first? Like all those, they'll haunt you forever. Mm. I love this lesson psychologically that, you know, you concentrating on uh, the the joy and the kindness and the spirit that you brought to this show is really where your where your head has to be eventually and not the stuff that you that you missed or that you couldn't control but i often wonder after people have done something as extreme of this are you changed like has this experience prepared you for this new crazy world we are in right now in quarantine yes um you know there were so many moments uh since since being out there in in the jungle that you know, I would think things were coming to an end. I was so hungry because I couldn't get to the drive-through quick enough, or I was so frustrated that I ran out of water in bed and had to get up and walk all the way to the kitchen 
you know, to pour it from my pitcher, you know, all these little moments where I'm just annoyed, those are gone. Like I will never, you know, to, to, to drink water, I had mm-hmm. to walk down on bloody feet. I had to walk down to our muddy watering hole with bugs and fish in it and other animal, who knows what, and pull that water out, boil it for at least 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, uh, let it cool down. It was a 45 minute cycle to drink, just mm-hmm. to drink. Wow. And so now when I'm like, I have to walk to the kitchen and turn on the faucet or, you know, I'm really hungry in the morning. I haven't had breakfast yet. That hunger is not hunger. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's mostly just wanting Cheerios yeah, now. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I think that it was the coolest thing of all was watching your incredible sense of humor stay with you despite the infection. They didn't give you any sort of numbing to take the tick and the infection out of your body. I mean, and you were still so positive. So I want yeah. our final segment to be this from the bush to the urban landscape. I want to hear Andrew's five tips to survive the psychological wild. Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. Set, yes. go. Okay. I would say, just remember the opportunity that you have. People would give everything they own to get the chance that I got to have. So never take that moment for granted. Mm. Do stop and look. Like literally, I would sit in the dirt for a few hours and look around and see that weird bird over there. I've never seen that bird before. Listen to that weird sound coming from the distance. Wonder what that is. You know, look up at the sky at night. Look at the stars. These were stars in the southern hemisphere I had never seen before. They were all brand new stars. Um, you know, notice the moment the sun sets there and how the colors seem different than they did back mm. in the United States. Uh, value the people around you. Probably number three. Um, Laugh with them, talk with them, get to know them on a different level. It's so, it pass, you know, passerby conversation in our world these days, quick texts, quick tweets, you know, get to know them on some other level, let them, mm. you know, find out what makes them tick. Um, I would say keep the humor is probably number four. The world is crazy. It's a scary place sometimes, but humor is an incredible medicine. It always has been. It's helped us out of a lot of dark times. Number five, uh, maybe take snapshots in your brain. Um, I, what I would do is I would sit in particular moments. This one moment I would sit in our, our muddy, gross watering hole. And there's this whole gaggle of butterflies that all part, part together in one little section. And I told myself, that is so cool. It's like 60 butterflies just sitting in the dirt together. And I watched them flutter around and land again. And I said, remember this moment. What does the water feel like? What does the dirt feel like under me? What does the wind feel like on my hair? What does this, the water smell like? Remember all these snapshot this moment and remember it forever. And then the, all the butterflies took off in this tornado and flew up into the sky together. And I was like, never forget this, Andrew. Never forget it. Never forget it. I'll never forget this interview. I mean, I, I, I think you're such a stunning human, Andrew. And um, the tips that you just shared are really akin to the kind of psychological guidance that you'd get if you sat in with a really skilled therapist. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much. I have enjoyed this. Would you remind people just very quickly when they'll be able to see this if they don't have the Discovery app? You bet. Um, this new season will be Naked and Afraid season 12. Uh, we'll start in March. It'll be Sundays on Discovery Channel. If you enjoy the program, please give us a thumbs up wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're so grateful for our sponsors. You can find out all about that at beyondwellwithsheilahamilton.com. Make it a great day.